How are you feeling? Um, pretty good today. Today's feeling pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. What's not feeling good like? I mean, so I feel good in my headspace. Every day is, of course, a challenge. There are challenges that I face every day, body aches and, uh, you know, and pains and, and things like that. But, uh, you know, I can't complain. I've had worse days, so it makes today a pretty good day. You are listening to the Concierge Minister Podcast, a place to grow, learn, and be inspired as you discover God's purpose for your life. Here's your host, the pastor you've always wanted without the church, Dr. Kumar Dixon. So can we go backwards and talk about um, kind of how you came to realize that you had this illness? Oh, I mean, I, yeah, I can go backwards. I can tell you uh, the day I found out was um, New Year's Eve 2019. Who can forget that? Wow. Um, I can remember exactly where I was. I was standing in CVS and my I'm a diabetic, so I always go to see my endocrinologist. And I had called her and said, hey, can you order a mammogram? I just I feel something weird. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's nothing. And she's like, sure, honey, and no problem. She came, I went to see her for my diabetes and she went ahead and wrote a prescription. She said, yeah, we'll get the mammogram. I'm sure it's nothing. So she's the one who wrote the prescription. I had that on December 22nd. Yeah, I remember that December 22nd, I had the mammo and a sonogram following up and the radiologist comes in is like, you need to go get a biopsy, something very suspicious. And so December 27th, I had the biopsy and then found out the diagnosis on the 31st. So when you found out you have cancer, I'm sure you're like Googling every single thing about, no? no? Only because they always say, if you, you gotta be careful what you Google because everything leads to cancer and to death. Right. Like if you Google I had the common cold, if you Google that your nose is sniffling, somehow it could be, it could trigger all these other things. And then the next thing you know, you're dying. Yeah. So I, I was tempted to. Mm-hmm. But I was like, well, I already got cancer. So if I Google it, I'm dying. So I didn't want to do that. I wanted to put my trust in the uh, medical people that I would be dealing with. Mm-hmm. So what what kind of cancer do you have? Like what stage is it? And can, can you give us a little bit of a description of what you... So January 7th, I walk into her office and she actually tells me, so I have, um, it's called IDC invasive ductal carcinoma. And it, it, so it starts with a tumor and then it can spread to the lymph nodes. And I didn't realize, so the biopsy they had done was also of my lymph nodes and it had spread to at least one lymph node because of the size of it. And also that it had metastasized to the lymph node, it was stage two. It, it's funny because, you know, when I, when I messaged you, you know, I tried to include the words that, Hey, you know, I wanted you to know, like, I'm just not some rando wanting to just ask you personal invasive questions, but like, I'm a hospice provider. I, I work with sick people and their right. families all the day, all, all, all the time. And it, it was so funny because, you know, your response was, yo, 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 no, no, no. I'm not ready for hospice, bro. Like, <laughs> like yeah, calm down, calm down. And, you know, I kind of laughed myself because I, I, it made me wonder how many people in your circle kind of just take a futile approach to to your situation? It's like, you know, oh, she has a C word and all of a sudden they act like, you know, one leg's already in the grave. Have you, have you had that experience? You know, I have to say, 
I was more like that about myself and the people around me, which is a blessing because the month of January, so finding this out December 31st, the month of January was the worst month of my life, I would say, in terms of uh, my struggle because I was for, I was fortunate, blessed to have such supportive family and friends who were speaking words of confidence and encouragement into me. And I would say into me because I was more down like, oh my goodness, I have cancer. This is going to be the end. I should start to put my files in order. It took me over a month. Honestly, it was my birthday, which was February 8th. So given that diagnosis, I found out December 31st, over six weeks before I started to believe it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I haven't, like, fortunately, I haven't had that. I didn't have it in January and February. Now, if somebody were to be that negative, my reaction would be different than it, I think it would have been in January. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I know you personally and you, you and I have a history together. And I, I do know that you have had a lot of death and sickness in your wider family circle, like a lot compared to most people that I know, you know, okay. as far as just parents and siblings and in-laws. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> ridiculous, you know, the, the amount of like, um, pain that your family has gone through. So when you look at that, Annie, how do you stay on top of that? You know, because it, it, it can be very like, woe is me, uh, destructive to your to your sense of worth, not just you, but your wider family has just been attacked over all these years. Like, how do you stay above that, that level of, of negativity? It's interesting that you say that because you brought up like, yes, in, in my in my life, my parents, both uh, my mom, kidney failure, and she died only at she was only seven, I mean, sorry, she was 66, which is quite young. And then my dad, heart failure. And then my, now interestingly, so my sister, one of my sisters, as you mentioned, sibling, she ended up on dialysis, had a kidney transplant, and now she has multiple myeloma. So she's on chemo as well for the last, is it three or four years? So when I'm sitting in the car on December 31st, after telling my husband, we were still sitting in the parking lot. And the first thing I wanted to do was call, uh, my sisters and so i actually called them and conferenced uh both of them i'm the youngest of three sisters and my oldest one i thought she would be the source of um her name i call her quad her name is Susie. she i thought she would be the source of you know super encouragement and then liz is the one that has been you know is sick and i thought how is she going to deal with this oh no and so here I am caught up in this world of, I can't believe this is real. And when I tell them, my oldest sister, Susie, she goes, oh, Annie, I'm so sorry to hear this. But, you know, and, and then she was quiet. I could hear her crying in my, you know, kind of through the phone. And amazingly, what moved me most was my sister, Liz, who's gone through Anything, I mean, she was a patient at NIH. To get to NIH, you have to have some serious issues. NIH doesn't just take any patient like you can just walk into Hopkins or Washington Hospital Center or anything like that. All of Liz goes, Annie, you were raised by Abraham Seho Thomas, and he taught us to believe in the power. And she starts preaching at me, and I'm sitting here like, what? And she starts saying, our God is mighty, Annie. There is nothing he can't do. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to be like a super religious person. I'm sitting here like devastated, trying to wrap my head around, I have cancer. And my sixth sister is the one 
that is motivating me and encouraging me and talking so positively where somebody might think, okay, she's got cancer. She's gonna sit here and say, oh, not another one. Lord, what are you doing here? You seem to be throwing all these fire and brimstone in our family, why? No. And when she reacted that like that, it kind of did a little bit of snapping to me like, Annie, how are you gonna sit here and whine and complain when your sister who has been through so much mm-hmm. is sitting here and being so encouraging? So that has affected that possibility of being very negative. Mm-hmm. So like I said, the month of January was just hard to deal with. And I still do. Sometimes I'm like, if I do have a question, I ask God. Because mm-hmm. one thing my father taught me that has stuck with me, he said, should you question God? And I immediately, when I was younger, I'd say, no, we can't question God. He's the almighty and he's always right. And my dad, my dad, who is, you know, very... Uh, like a biblical scholar, if you will, he looked at me and said, no, it's okay. Question him, get angry at him, yell at him, disagree with him. And my, I was like, are you kidding? We can't do that to God. But then I said, why would you say that? And he said, because he is God. He is Mm -hmm. all knowing and he can handle it. Anything you throw at him. So in relation to what you just said, that's what I do. So if I'm ever feeling down or negative, I cry at God and I'm like, Lord, I don't get this. Why am I going through this? I asked the question only once, what did I do to deserve this? Mm. Because that's a scary question that we all ask ourselves, you know, like, what did I do to deserve this? And the way I got my answer was, because I could think about all the sins I've committed, you know, oh, maybe it's because I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I didn't eat right. I did that bad thing. I said this bad thing. So you're, you're placing blame on yourself. Almost, no. I, that's, I think that anybody who gets a diagnosis of any kind, they start to think, is there something, like, could I have gone to the doctor earlier? Could I have eaten differently or something? I didn't do it for so long. I asked the surgeon that January 7th, I, after you know she was about to leave, I, I said, I have one more question. Like, what did I do hmm. to get this? And is there something I could have done differently to not have this? And she looked at me and she's, like I said, she's cream of the crop uh, kind of surgeon. And she looks at me and she goes, bad luck. And I was like, what? And in a way that kind of reassured me as to what the Lord was telling me that don't dwell on this, Annie, you didn't do anything, but it is a struggle that you're going to deal with. And I'm going to help you through this, but you can't spend your time worrying if you did something to get it. You're listening to the Concierge Minister Podcast. Coming up. I heard the voice of God differently now than I've ever had in my whole life. What's that sound like? What's that feel like? You're listening to the Concierge Minister Podcast with Dr. Kumar Dixit. If you found this podcast helpful to your spiritual journey, please make sure you give us a five-star rating and subscribe to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Also, remember to share this podcast with your friends and family. Now let's get back to the conversation with Kumar. You are, you know, for our listeners, you know, you were the MC at my wedding. Yeah. Then uh, it still goes down to be like the best wedding reception 
ever. And partly because of how fun and you know gregarious you were then and how you are now. You're, you're, you're generally a very upbeat, positive, optimistic person, I would say. How have you been able to keep yourself from kind of spiraling and kind of keep yourself afloat or if not kind of moving upwards? So I will have to say, and I'm, whether this was a religious interview or not, I, it doesn't matter because my truth is leaning on Jesus privately, one-on-one, me and him, especially in the night hours when everybody else is sleeping, because I had to do that because there were times when, like you said, I mean, it's automatic in life. The negativity is there, the pain, the fear, fear was a, is a great downer. Yeah. And the interesting thing is I would cry into Jesus, like, I can't do this. It, it, this hurts too much, or I'm too scared. And I would cry and I would cry and I would say, please, God. And I actually would beg him a couple of times. Don't let me have to go through this. Mm. And yet I had to go through it anyway. And I'm like, uh, I asked you not to let me go through this. I heard the voice of God differently now than I've ever had in my whole life. What's that sound like? What's that feel like? Ooh, it is, it is, it's a feeling. It's a feeling. And then I'll hear through the feeling, I'll hear the words. So for example, I had to go to, uh, oh, there's a couple, two, two of the biggest things. One is MRIs. I am extremely claustrophobic. I mean, to the point of fear. On January 15th, the doctor ordered all these tests. I said, MRIs, can I do an open MRI? She's like, no, because they don't give you good pictures. So I was like, okay. So I walked out of there saying, Lord, I will be cut open. I will be doing, I will go through this. I don't want the MRI. That was my greatest fear. Right. And I wasn't scared of the bone scan. I was a little, but it min- it was minimized because the fear of the MRI. I kept praying to God. I would sit here and I would be rocking at night. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I couldn't do anything. Fear of the MRI. And so I cried unto the Lord and he kept, and then I, I started to have this feeling, you got to do it, Annie, you got to do it. And I'm like, Lord, you can make it happen. You can change the doctor's mind. Do it. I kept praying that I kept praying, telling him what to do. Yeah. And then I kept getting the, the feeling of Annie, you're going to have to go through this. So I, then I finally changed my prayer. And I said, sometimes it's a matter of that for me. And then I had to change the prayer. All right, Lord, I'm going to go through this help me because I can't go through this. So up until the day before my MRI, I said, Lord, show me peace. Give me your peace that I'm going to be okay, that I can do this. The day before the MRI, I opened up now, help me pastor Kumar here. The verse, is it, where is it? Is it in, it's in the new Testament. The one that says, um, my peace that passeth all understanding, understanding, right? All of a sudden I I do that Bible app um, where you get a verse every day. Why is it the day before I'm MRI? That was the verse. And I prayed on that verse and I said, Lord, just hold my hand. Give me understanding. So he did. So he's been speaking to me sometimes through the Bible verse. Sometimes it's just through this feeling of, I can't explain it. I got this peace that washed over me. Now, again, I was petrified. Every time I would go to eat something, I'd want to, I just couldn't because I was so scared. And then all of a sudden the day before the MRI, there was this peace. And when I went to get the MRI done, I was like, I was still nervous. I was still scared, but I felt God with me. So that, that, um, that verse comes from Philippians 4, 7. Yes. And it's, 
it just reminded me just the the value of making sure your children hear scripture growing up as kids because you know hearing it memorizing it you may never remember it but you'll at least god will put put back those yes all um tidbits of scripture back in your mind to give you hope and to get you through the day i think yeah and sometimes oh by the way god is to me funny because i went and did that mri and it wasn't that bad. I can't because I close my eyes and I, I don't see myself going in. I have my eyes closed and I will never open them until they pull me back out. Mm-hmm. And to get this MRI done, I'm lying on my face because this is the type mm-hmm. of MRI. It was, uh, you know, that's the way they do this for the MRI they needed for me. So I go in, then I, I get it over with 45 minutes, whatever. And then I'm like, oh, I'm never having this done again. Yes, that was. But if I do, I'm coming back to this machine because it was great. The next day, the radiologist calls me. Yeah, we found something. So we need to do bilateral MRI guided bilateral breast biopsy. <laughs> and I said, no. And she said, yes. And I, and she says, um, it would be really good. I said, by that, would it be really, do I have to do it? So I was like, God, uh, you got me through that. Now, why do I have to go through a second one? Yeah. And I, I saw that as funny because God is like, okay, I got you through it. I'm going to get you through it again. I was less fearful the second time around. He spoke to me directly outside of the dentist's office. And when I say dentist, I started chemo. I'd been through all of this mess. And I said, Lord, I'm going to chemo. And now you're telling me I have to go to the dentist? <laughs> and I started crying. And I said to God, I don't understand. Why am I going through this? I don't understand. I don't understand. And Kumar, when you talked about Bible verses and how train up a child in the way she go, the Bible verses our parents had us read or memorize in Sabbath school or at home, I kid you not, I heard it like this. God, I don't understand. Why am I going through this? And I was banging on the steering, one of those hysterical moments. And I heard him say, lean not on your own understanding. Lean on mine. And I was like, what? I got mad. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't get it. And he kept, I kept hearing those words. So I started having this fight with him in the car over and over. Mm. And I would hear these kind of verses as my answer. So sometimes he talks to me like that. That's beautiful. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Yes. It's one of the very first um, memory verses that I, I learned as a kid. So the good news is you have stage two cancer. The bad news is that you have cancer. And, you know, that means that, you know, you're prone to any kind of infection. You are a very sick individual and you have to be very careful of what kind of outside um, mm-hmm. environments that you're, you're, you, you put yourself around. So have you thought about death, Annie? You know, oh, yeah. What if this just goes south in a week and all of a sudden something you know hits like what is that what does that look like for you so the month of january that's all i thought about Mm -hmm. because like i said i was for about six weeks i thought that's how this ended Mm -hmm. and soon and for me i just i cried to him every day and i said lord it's it's interesting because it was a matter of i and the main reason i wanted to keep living was because i have a son who just turned 13 in December. 
And I said, Lord, I, I don't want to leave my child alone. I said, my husband, he's a grown man. Yeah, I don't want to leave him, but uh, he'll be, you know, he's, he's a grown man. But my child, mm-hmm. I can't, Lord. And so that was the primary thing was my family. And then came, Lord, I feel like there's something more that I, I have to do on this earth, but I don't want to leave my child. So initially, the first six weeks, it was the fact that, what am I going to do leaving my child when he's 13? Mm-hmm. And then it became, you know, do I still think about it? Yes. But now I think about it more like death wouldn't be so bad if it happened to me. Cause my belief when we die, we are asleep until the Lord comes and he wakes us up. But, but also here's my belief. Death is just like when you close your eyes sometimes and you go to sleep, you feel like you've been asleep for one minute and you wake up and eight hours have gone by. You're like, what? Wait, I just went to sleep. I feel like death is like that. So for us in our belief, we are asleep and the people who suffer are those who are left behind because they miss you. Right. But for me, if I were to die today or tomorrow, the next moment I am awake and with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and it's over. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, it is... I'm to my family who's still here on earth, I'm still resting in that grave. But for me, it's like blink, open, Jesus. Yeah. And I, so I, so honestly, that, so I had to come to terms with death for myself. And that's how I did. I said, you know what, Lord, I don't want to leave this earth. I want to be here, create more memories for my son, do more things to help others, enjoy my life for as long as possible. But Whenever death comes, whether it comes because of this disease or a semi truck hits me on the road, that's okay because I know in the next instant I'm going to feel the, the presence of Jesus. There's there's an author named Kate Bowler. She wrote a book a few years ago called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. She has a really very famous podcast by the same title of her book. But in her book, there's a um, chapter, I think it's an appendix, and it's like all the stupid things people say to you when you have cancer <laughs> and what to say and what else you should say instead of what they say. What are some of the just ridiculous things people have said to you? And and, mm-hmm. and you know, for those of you who um, are listening to this podcast, Annie is from, is a South Asian descent from India. So you know, you have just all the wackadoodle aunties and uncles who have probably told you to eat ginger or, or something just bizarre to like cure you. That's funny because it is a combination of being Indian and I don't know, Adventist, mm-hmm. because I get the whole um, herbal cure thing thrown at me. And now I'm not going to downplay because I do believe whether you're religious or not, like my medical team will talk about, I had a dietitian come and see me and they talk about the benefits of eating different foods to help you through chemo. For example, uh, for breast cancer, uh, they say reduce the amount of soy you eat because in the body, soy mimics, I think, estrogen. If you're estrogen positive, then, you know, soy, too much soy isn't good, isn't good for you. When people come, when they say it, I've had some people say, oh, don't, trust the doctors, you know, they're just trying to make money. Mm. And honestly, probably one of the worst things that somebody said to me is, um, so I am a patient at John Hopkins and I actually have a wonderful medical team and I trust them. Mm -hmm. 
somebody started to tell me negative things about Hopkins. And I said, stop, don't do that. Hmm. I said, you can tell me to be cautious. You can tell me to, you know, monitor, watch my back, do all this, but don't tell me your horror stories that you've heard. It was coming across as very, it was making me feel negative. Yeah. And then they were, they were telling me negative things that happen to people who have cancer. Um. That to me, I had to, I had to stop. Like I won't ever look at videos or sometimes even messages. I actually had my husband filter through some of my messages my text messages, if it was, I said, I can't look at what that, I said, I love that person, but I can't deal with them right now. Because mm-hmm. like you mentioned, it, a lot of people talk about, uh, a lot of cancer survivors will say that it was their positive attitude that helped them. And so the things I couldn't take were people telling me about people dying from cancer. Mm-hmm. Now, if they're telling it to me in a way of um, a positive story about how they fought for 10 years and then they right. so that was different. But if they start to, oh, you have cancer, oh, so-and-so, or I knew this person and they, oh, it was no use, they did chemo and all, and then they just died. And you're like, <laughs> really? That's the story you're going to tell me? All right. And I think to go back to your question, what are some of the awful things? One is don't do chemo, go the herbal route, don't listen to your medical team. And, oh, you're at what hospital? Oh, my goodness. I heard about this horrible thing that happened and that horrible thing that happened to another person. Yeah. So that leads me to my next question, and that is most people only have a handful of people who will have a terminal disease in their lifetime. You know, I mean, at the end, everyone gets old and they get some kind of disease, you know, after. But, you know, midlife, it's, it's a very rare thing. So... You know, what, 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 should, what do you want to say to people who need to know how to minister to somebody who has a terminal disease? Like, you know, what do we say to you? What do we give to you? What do we um, bring to you? You know, what, what are the things that have worked for you that, that you wish more people would know? So I think it depends on, 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 the, on the person. So figure out, honestly, even asking them directly or asking a relative or friend that's close to them. So for me, for example... I like it when people just, sometimes I, I love it when they, you know, hey, how are you doing? And I hope you're doing okay. And, uh, or let me know how you're doing. Because sometimes he, some people may react differently. If you say, how are you? People might be like, uh, duh, I have cancer. Why are you asking me that? And you know, it's like, hello, oh, I'm great. I'm dying, I'm great. And like you mentioned, the word terminal illness. So even though I'm stage two cancer, anybody who has cancer, it's known as a terminal mm-hmm. disease, right? But because of modern medicine and God, but God, I believe, has given modern medical teams treatments and cures for cancer. So people like, for example, breast cancer, 40, 50 years ago, people may just have died Mm. with this. But now there are so many treatments that like I've met women who have had stage three or four and they've been alive for 20 years. So I think for me, hearing the positive stories, like if you know people who fought cancer and survived. I'd love to hear stories like that. Sometimes it's um, having food dropped off, but it depends on the person. Maybe they want it, maybe they don't. Your wife, for example, came by and made a delicious quiche for me. For me, what was enjoyable, she stayed and we talked for like hours. And it was reconnecting with people sometimes because it's unfortunate. We're all so busy. Like your wife and I knew each other since we were kids. 
and just life, you know, we live in different places and we go to different schools. So we would always see each other at church. And then when we started going to different churches, we would hardly ever see each other, but that bond was still there so that whenever we saw each other, we could talk for hours and enjoy it. So sometimes it's that if you have the opportunity to go hang out with them, if you don't know the person for me, I would say, ask them, Hey, what can I do for you? And when you ask it, mean it. Yeah. So if they say, Hey, can you come visit me for like 15 minutes? Be, be, be aware of it. So you're not like, Oh, I'm really busy. I can't. <laughs> right. Right. Be, be aware of what you're asking before somebody actually takes you up on your offer. Yeah. Cause you might ask the person and then not really want to do what they yeah. want to do. But what about just somebody like, especially in the early begin beginnings of you discovering that you had cancer, what about the, oh, I'm so sorry response? You know, that's people, that's often what people will say is, you know, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, to hear this. Uh, is, is that a genuine thing that you can live with? Or for you, was that something that was kind of a downer? So, what, yes, that's the, honestly, that's, I think, the human instinct to say that because, and it didn't bother me. People would immediately say, oh, Annie, I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't know what to, some of them would say, I don't know what to say. An honest response is a beautiful response. Like, I don't know what to say. Cause there were some people who were just like, uh, I, 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 I don't know what to say. And all, sometimes though, in the beginning, I ended up cheering people up because <laughs> right. they got sad about it. So, and it depends on the personality. I'm the kind of person that I, like I could do that now. If this interview was happening in January, it'd be very different. Sure. sure. Then the first month of this, because there's this, what they call a whirlwind of tests and mm. procedures. And you're just trying to wrap your mind around the fact that, holy smoke, I have cancer. Yeah. So I think that the people saying that I'm sorry, uh, followed by, look, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm here if you ever need something. And I mean it. Just let me know. But be aware that sometimes the person who is suffering, they may not call you. Yeah. yeah. They may yeah. call their siblings, their cousins, something like that. But so you may have to take the initiative. And I've been so fortunate in my life that I've had people outside of my family inner circle who will reach out to me because sometimes like I'm just exhausted. I come home from chemo and I'm like so sick and I'm not going to go out and text somebody. But so, for example, your wife, I wasn't going to text her or anything. She texted me. She's like, Annie, I just heard. I want to come spend some time with you. Can I? And she actually bugged me a few more times because honestly, when she initially did, I, I didn't even, I wasn't even checking my mesh. I was so sick. I was so tired. I was so drained, but she kind of kept doing it. And the beauty of it was with a text message, if the person who is sick chooses to ignore it, they can. Right. So she did. And then finally, when I felt up to it, I responded. I was able to get together with her. And had she not done that, I wouldn't have picked up the phone and been like, hey, Rich, because it's like, we're the, like I said, we, we don't talk or hang out every day. So it wasn't somebody that I would pick up the phone and call. But that one day she came and spent with me meant a lot. She left an opening for you to respond when you were ready to respond. Yeah. But she also kept texting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, that's a huge uh, lesson for people to know, you know, just just to be able to send somebody love and don't expect a response. You know, they'll, they'll respond when they can, or they may yes. not, but at least they, they know they're coming in. So how do you feel about people offering you things, you know, like, you know, people will do a meal train or they'll want to stop by and bring you food. Like, how do you feel about just receiving that from other people? It's both 
wonderful and it's also a feeling of guilt. I know I have felt guilt on two parts. One is that I would, like when people would offer to bring food, I felt like, you know, like I'm not able to do that for my family, like get up and cook. So I'd feel the guilt. And then it's kind of this, I don't know, it's a weird feeling accepting all this food from others, which is weird because I've been on the other side. Um, like, you know, always going and dropping food off for people who need it, whether it's for whatever reason, they're sick or somebody passed away or somebody just had a baby and, you know, I, I, oh yeah, I'm there. I'll I'll bake you some cupcakes. I'll make you this. I'll do that. To be on the receiving end is, is really weird and not always easy. So take that in consideration. If you're ever asking somebody, you may have to ask them more than once. And sometimes just even tell them, you know what, I'm going to drop this off for you just because, so, because it ends up being a blessing especially when they're going through treatment and they're too sick to get up and do something. Like, for example, I'm about to do uh, radiation. And from what I've heard other women go through, they get extremely fatigued, like to the point where they say, I don't like to be lazy. And this woman said she came home and she's like, I got into the kitchen. I said, I've got to cook. I can't take this. And she said she couldn't help it. She just lay there on the couch for several hours. So people offering things like food and things, is wonderful. The other thing is be careful in terms of um, flowers, which is honestly the first thing that comes across people's minds. Oh, let me go give them flowers because they're beautiful and they perk you up. What you want to be careful of is ask them if it's okay, because I found out plants and flowers are not good for people on chemo necessarily. Like you mentioned, when you're on chemo, you're susceptible to a lot of germs and bacteria and different things, and they can come that can come on plants. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. That is very interesting. My parents brought me up in in the faith and, you know, train up a child in the way he should go. Uh, But I think that every person who deals with some kind of illness, whatever it is, whether it's cancer or diabetes or some debilitating, even if they break their leg and they can no longer run and that's what they do for their living or something, everybody faces their demons in their own way. And fortunately, my faith, there comes a point in your life where it's no longer your parents' faith. It has to become your faith. Nobody can, like, you you know, when you're a kid, when you're 10 and 12, like Mar, you have several children, you gotta wake them up and force them to go to Zoom Sabbath school or go to the physical church. There comes a point when they have to go to church because they want to go. Like when your kids are 22, you can't make them go. So for me, that's what this journey has really hammered into me is my own faith and walk with Christ became stronger. But it's not like that for everybody who gets a debilitating disease. They may get angry with God. And I think that people on the outside trying to help them, they need to be aware that yes, they may be labeled as a Christian or something, or I'm gonna pray for you. That person may be like, no, don't pray for me. Because they may be angry with God or something. And I think that that's why I think, I think one of the most important things I would say having gone through this is listen to that person truly listen and see if you can spot either by what they're saying or what they're not saying what they need or want from you whether it's a prayer right then and there or you pray for them when you're not with them or they want a meal or they want company maybe they want to be left alone a little yeah that's great counsel can i pray for you oh i would love that oh what would you like prayer for well I'm finally on hopefully the last phase of my treatment so i'm going into my next phase um and i don't know if you know anything about this but after surgery i just learned like for example my arm mobility so i can raise this hand no problem i had surgery on this side i can't raise it up 
further. So if you could just pray that my next phase of treatment goes well and that it works yeah, and yeah. I get more mobility on mine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you for Annie's story, for her willingness to um, share her story of faith and her journey so it can help other people who may be going through a, a similar terminal illness. This is not the news that she expected or would ever want on her for herself, but this is what she has. And we just pray that you will be a God of mercy to continue to pour love on her um, through people that um, that can just share their love and, and demonstrate your love to her. And as she's coming towards this tail end of, of treatment, God, we just pray for protection and we pray for wholeness that you will be able to heal her, her body, not just the, the cancer, but also just her physical body that has been ravaged um, by the cancer. Um, any kind of emotional, mental scarring, God, may you continue to just mold her and mend her and bless her. God, she has so much to contribute to this world, and I just pray that you will continue to use her story as a way to share your love in this world. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Annie, for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. I hope I can help somebody. I don't know. Thanks for listening to the Concierge Minister podcast. If you want to learn more about growing in your faith or looking for an online faith community for support while you're on your journey, please visit conciergeminister.com or send us an email at conciergeminister at gmail.com. Don't forget to click the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating. If you find this podcast helpful, please tell your friends about us. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, go and live your best life.